We say it often, community and collaboration is just what makes Barossa, well, Barossa. It's just what we do. It's just part of who we are. It's led the innovative spirit of the region since the foundation of the wine community. At the heart of regional collaboration is someone who has seen it all since her first night shift at Yolumba 30 years ago, where the leadership of Barossa is heading and what they need. Welcome the humble, nurturing leader, Louisa Rose. So that's a really great idea. I'm going to make my biscuits the same way. And all of a sudden you've got a regional food story that's just been born. For honey biscuits. And uh, please don't ask me to do it in German. (laughs) And I think we will look back in 20 years' time and say, wow, that was really something supported dragon three times mental as anything the choir boys the angels the divinals he'd miss the ball and i have to explain to him no you can't re-hit it (laughs) (laughs) the great live yabby event of 1996 dog in the back of the boat that was being fed meat pies on the way over (laughs) nothing awkward about that man but please call me dave it's just us the stories of barossa told by barossans Hosted by the vintage whisperer, winemaker and aspiring actor, Stuart Bourne. With wine educator, marketing director and complete new import legend to the Barossa, Amanda Longworth. And why the hell does every Barossan, except me, have a yabby story? Welcome Louisa Rose, Chief Winemaker and Grand Master of the Barons of Barossa. So my first question is going to be, who are and what are the Barons of Barossa? Well, thank you for, uh, for having me. The Barons of Barossa is a fraternity that was started in 1975, so coming up to 50 years this mm, decade. It's pretty impressive. And it's ostensibly been a philanthropic organisation, but an organisation that was formed to preserve all the important things that are Barossa. The history, the heritage, the food, and of course the viticulture and, and wine. And so that's basically our charter. And over the decades, the barons have done many things to do that. A lot of it is dressing up, you know, the Declaration of Vintage, of course, which is a great thing that we do every year on the third Sunday in February, where we start at the Tabor Church with the blessing of the grapes. And then we have a colourful procession up to the Rotunda where we declare vintage, we crush the first grapes and we name our winemaker of the year and our viticulturalist of the year. And that's you know possibly what most of the community know the barons for most. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that we've done over the years. And in the first 35 years or so of the barons, you know, we think, again, going back, you know, adding up, that we've, there's nearly $4 million worth of money that we've raised and given back to the community. That's amazing. So things like we've, we've had, you know, helped fund some of the Roseworthy Library, for example, in wine. Mark McNamara and Callum Hahn did a series of videos preserving some of the Barossa food culture, you know, with some of the, the generation that we ultimately we will lose, you know, next mm-hmm. to make sure that we were keeping some of those things, the recipes for honey biscuits. And I'm trying to, <laughs> please don't ask me to do it in German. <laughs> oh. You know, and, then, and the linkies, you know, with the metwurst and those sort of things. And they're, they're available for everyone to see. Over the years, we've given a lot back to the high school wine program. And we published Vineyards of the Empire some years ago now, but which is still a, if you can get a copy of it, it's an amazing book of sort of history of vineyards in, in the Barossa. So that was for the sort of first 35 years and then the next idea we had was why don't we start a collection or to collect wines you know from Barossa winemakers and to sell them and age them and then and give them back to the Barossa to use as a promotional thing to promote the Barossa all over the world and so in 2011 we put the first call out for those wines and 2,000 bottles of wine sort of turned up within <laughs> or at least turned up in my inbox I should say I didn't physically have them straight away but 
well, okay, and so now we've got to, where are we going to store these? And from there, you know, to cut a long story short, through a lot of meetings and discussions, we decided to build what is now the Barossa Cellar, and that's come to fruition in 2019. It was, it was finished, and although, you know, COVID's probably put a bit of a dampener on some of the events and things that we should have been doing there and some of the, the use of the promotion of the wines, we have now got a collection of, it's over 7,000 bottles of wine wow. from over 100 different wineries, you know, multiple vintages, and just shows that sort of generosity of Barossa winemakers that, you know, when you ask, you know, say, would you like to put your wines in the cellar? They say, sure. You're sure that's enough? Would you like some more? Would you like yeah. something else? It's, you know, that's so much the product, the responses that you always get from people around the Barossa. That's you know, amazing. You know, are you sure that's enough? After they, after they get me on the phone or I ring them up and they go, oh, what do you want, Louisa? What do you want now? <laughs> what do you want this time? <laughs> so, so there's obviously been a lot of evolution. How do you think the Barons are going to continue to evolve? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think, uh, you know, now that the Barons are, are not just a group of people that raise money, you know, now we have this huge, this asset, this $5 million building on the hill, we've become more of a business. Mm. But I think that makes us, you know, realise some of the potential of what the Barossa can do and what we can do to help the Barossa, particularly having that, that building there. Mm. So we're going to need to evolve to be more businesslike and we're going to have to make sure that we, we expect more of our barons, Stewie, mm. and, you I'm know, to you. come in and help because, you know, we know how amazing the Barossa is and how collaborative it can be. Mm. And sometimes you get so busy you forget to actually ask people for help. Mm. But there's so many people out there willing to help and have with great ideas and, and great things. And we've got this collection of wine now that will help to cement Barossa's place as the, the great wine region of Australia and one of the great wine regions of the world. Fantastic. So Lou, if we can just go back to just after you'd graduated ducks of your course at the beautiful University of Adelaide. Now since then you've been with one wine business for your career. So obviously over the course of your career you would have seen some fairly you know, significant and exciting changes in the wine industry. Anything in particular spring to mind? <laughs> or even at even at your organisation at your lumber. Yeah. So, well, I think the evolution of, of your lumber as a business in those, you know, 30 vintages now that I've been there, you know, sort of mirrors the, the wine industry sort of evolution in Australia. From a, when I started in 92, we were just starting to really sort of think about becoming that export juggernaut that Australia is now. That growth of wine around the world was amazing because Australians weren't drinking more. But the fact that we had all, you know, the rest of the world that were starting to 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 drink Australia and to, to love Australia meant that we could expand in Australia. And, you know, Barossa are no exception, particularly when the bill scheme came in. You know, we had the opportunity to look at new grounds, new soils, new vineyard sites, you know, in some cases, new varieties. And that's just been amazing. And I think Australian consumers have really benefited from that as well because if, if, it was, if we were still making it for the same group of Australians, you know, we wouldn't have had that, that real opportunity to expand and to, to try new things. So that was a really exciting time. I think what you learn after a while is that not, not that much is new in this world. <laughs> you know, the, next, the new people coming along think something's new and go, yeah, yeah, I can tell you about that. That happened six years ago or that happened, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. So it's that cyclical thing about the wine industry that I think probably gives us comfort. And I think gives particularly in a business like your lumber which of course is family owned we've got six generations of the family now with Robert as, as the fifth generation and Jess Hill Smith as the sixth generation working in the business I think I've got a you know I've been there for a while and you know got that sort of that experience but their family have got that experience and when they you know when they look at resilience and sustainability of the business and how things have evolved they talk about well there's been world wars and there's been depressions and there's been pandemics and they weren't necessarily just talking about the most recent one so that's an amazing culture to be part of and I think that that history and that knowledge of survival you know and and amazing times as well but sometimes when it's just nitty-gritty survival mm. you know gives you great confidence to have a long-term view and that's what the wine industries you know has to do 
So, Louisa, you're widely acknowledged as a leader in Barossa. Do you see yourself this way? Um, and what are you hoping that perhaps your legacy might be for the region? Yeah, well, I don't know about the second part of that, but <laughs> leadership's an interesting, um, an interesting one because I've always been, you know, a, a bit of a bossy sort of person. So, been, you know, and often asked to sort of chair meetings or lead groups or whatever. So, I'm used to a leadership role within our organisation, or we, but but also within you know other industry organisations. And I was on the the early board of the BGWA, for example, and things like that. Now, I sitting back, did I ever really think of that as being a leader? Probably not. But, but helping to sort of lead projects or things or whatever they may be. But in, in more recent times, you know, when, when, you know, more and more I'm sitting around and look around and go, yeah, I think I am the oldest person sitting around this table. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how that happened all of a sudden. When I'm the one that can tell, you know, some of the historical stories and share some of those stories, that when you, you, you realise then actually that those roles are really important because I know how important the people that, that I heard those stories were in my life and my mentoring. And of course, no one probably more so than Brian Walsh who was the chief winemaker at Yolumba before me and obviously has had a much bigger, wider industry role. People like Colin Graham, oh, there's just, there's just so many, you know, great people in this industry in the Barossa that have, they don't, I don't think they would have necessarily thought of themselves as, you know, this is my leadership responsibility. It's just part of that sharing and that the Barossa does. Lou, you mentioned a couple of names there and I'm going to throw a couple more in because if we look at the Barossa as, as being literally a site of incredibly significant innovations in the wine industry historically with people like Ray Beckwith with the pH meter and uh, exploring sulphur dioxide, John Vickery handling white wines anti-oxidatively, uh, Colin Gramp and his pressure vessel fermentation, you know, these sorts of things that have come out of the Barossa as a Barossan, do you think this is part of just a, a, a questioning nature we've got as a region, or is it really a, a deference to our community and industry-mindedness? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think we are often too humble about some of those things, and I don't think we talk about those people enough and some of those those things that we've done. And one of the reasons, I think, is because we are, well, A, we're busy doing stuff. We're busy growing grapes and making wine and selling wine around the world so that that's one excuse but I think sometimes it, these things just happen as part of evolution and often you know and I don't know but I'm sure I'm assuming that you know Ray didn't just wake up one morning and go that's what we're going to do a pH meter that's going to revolutionize the world so it would have been part of an ongoing journey for him and and it's not until you know sometimes when you look back that you go well there was a pretty important thing that happened there but at the moment you just go yep that's what I've been trying to work on that's you know this is another vintage and we've got to another point and there's another point next vintage and yeah and you, and you, ne- you we don't stop to actually reflect on that as much as much as we should and and I, I think on that sometimes there's quite a lot that we we actually lose in history because a lot of it's still only in story there have been a few oral histories and things done I know but some of the great people I think the Barossa you know we probably haven't if they weren't one of the loudest peoples at the lunches or whatever we probably probably overlooked their really important place and celebrating that really important place even though we we've used a lot of what they've developed but we just take it for granted and move on to the next stage so do you think that the influential leaders that you've worked with or that we've had do you think they've really been aware of the influence that they've had on Barossa or at the time I doubt it mm. I although I, I suspect by the time Colin Grant passed away at 98 I think there'd been enough of us in the you know over the last decades mm. that had sort of that made him aware of it that he probably did and he wasn't a particular humble man he was a great man so I, I suspect he did but I suspect a lot of the others have just have thought of it as that's what their job was and that's what their role was that's that's how we were all going to make better wine by being those the people that they were and that's ultimately what we're all we're all doing we know that that as a, and I, th- I don't think anyone knows this like the Barossa does 
that you know our success individual success is so intertwined with the whole regions and the whole country's success so you know i always say that, that whatever we do if people are drinking wine that's that's the first step if they're drinking australian wine that's tick number two if they're drinking barossa that's tick number three and then at some point they might drink a yolumba wine that'd be fantastic <laughs> but at least if they're drinking barossa it's and i don't want to say it's better than mclaren vale or whatever because that that sort of competition probably isn't that healthy bit of fun yes. so i take it in the in the vein that it was meant but you know what i mean it's that collaboration and that collegiate sort of working I think that makes us, you know, also successful, but it also keeps us all really sort of humble in in our place in a very, very large matrix. I think, Lou, that's a, a beautiful comment you make. It's just us. And I think you're not the only Barossan I've heard that from. And you're very right. It is. It's, it's just us. And so for challenging the status quo uh, into the future, we've talked about leadership. So what sort of characteristics do you think our next generation of leaders are going to need to have to take the Barossa forward? I think they uh, need to be consistent. This industry, and, and it's a it's an industry that's based around growing grapes, that doesn't happen in a, in a six-month period. You can't change your strategy every sort of six months or every 12 months or whatever it be. They need to have consistency. They've got to have a long-term view. They've got to have dreams and, and be prepared to, to put the hard yards in. I think there's still a level of humility that's involved in, in, in the future because without that, you won't get the best out of all the people that you're working with. Mm. And, and that's, you know, the future has to, has to still have that collaboration, probably even more more and more so because one of the things that I worries that worries me you know a lot and, and probably more and more is is wine in general maintaining its social license hmm. by that I mean you know with a, with a planet that's getting a couple more billion people every decade or whatever the growth is we're not that far off seven billion people and at some point in time the resources that we use to grow grapes might be needed for growing food for the world so how do we maintain our, our the importance of us? And it's not about competing. It's about being relevant and being responsible citizens. And that's what I say. You know, you need to maintain that social license. And, you know, competing for, if you like, water is a similar thing. I mean, if there's limited water around, ultimately we probably need to grow food before we go wine. It's a very good point. <laughs> so, and I think they're the discussions that we need to have and that our future leaders will need to, will absolutely need to have and get a common ground on those so that we model models people, model businesses. So with all of those thoughts in in mind, what do you think is next for Barossa? I think that the next thing for the Barossa is a lot of history, Mm -hmm. right? Bringing a lot of the stories and things that we've been putting together over the over the over the decades and and in fact centuries, it's it's back to the future with the amazing old vines that we've had and it's all the things that we have to do to preserve those. It's the biosecurity, it's the education, it's the understanding the diseases and the trunk diseases and those sort of things. It's it's a science and it's because because they're so so important to us. They're they're absolutely unique in the world. So we've got to preserve those and we've got to keep them relevant and make make wines out of them that are relevant for for the for the world population and in fact i think the other thing that's really important and is that the wines we make are always relevant you know they've got to be appropriate for you know for for the The people to want to drink that's right because if they're not we might make what we think are the best wines in the world and no one's going to drink them (laughs) Uh, and i'm not saying that we're not now but i think we just need to really keep an ear to our to the to the next sort of you know generations as they come through and and make sure that we've got the range of styles and, and things. Not all not, not all eggs in one basket, but absolutely that range of styles. If it means new varieties in some cases, that's cool. But I, I'm, I'm not of the opinion that we need to sort of, you know, grub out all the Shiraz and plant Greek varieties just because of, because climate's going to change. You know, we're clever than that. We're really clever in, in viticulturalists. We know, we know how to help the, the microclimate around our vines for them to, you know, to still make great Shiraz, you know, in a, in a warming world. For example, it's always wonderful, I think, Lou, to hear a winemaker 
keep going back to basics, in particular uh, viticultural production, because it is so important. But look, as a farmer yourself and a, a primary food producer, how do you see that linking of the food story and the wine story in the Barossa and the importance of it? I think it's absolutely fundamental. And it, I think wine, if, if you're talking about wine and you're not talking about occasions in food, you know, these days, you know, you're probably missing most of your market. I think, you know, the more and more we can do that, I, I think it's really important. And I think that, and, and I know that the Barossa food groups have, have done a lot of work over the years, you know, trying, you know, getting groups together and things like that. And perhaps as a wine industry in hindsight, you know, we could have helped them more because we we know how to work together. We know how to be collegiate. We know how to structure committees and organisations. We use them when we want to have dinners and those sort of things, which is amazing. But I think we should do everything we can to support them going forward because it's it's big picture stuff, right? Wine is actually, at the end of the day, just part of a meal. Mm. Good point. Lou, one thing that's turned up in this series from a couple of the guests has been the concept of the stories of night shift. And we all know within the wine industry that <laughs> day shift and night shift can be quite different things some days. Anything stick in your mind, a story from night shift from your history? Um, well, that was my so my first couple of years were night shifts. Yeah, uh, you're looking at me as if you oh. expect me to know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Probably, we'll see how we go. Um, so my first night shift, which was '92, yeah, so it was midnight to midday. So your lumber have often had that that is the, the shifts, and it was just amazing because you get to work and it's the middle of the night and there's no you know none of the bosses are around, right? None of the managers, none of the winemakers are around. So and it's great. It's it was, it's my first time I'd ever worked anywhere other than a family vineyard and it was just this sort of this sort of group of people all working together and yeah it was it was just amazing so I think I started about the 11th of January in that year and about two weeks later some of the other permanent people came back to, to work and I met this chap called Warren and he turned out to be my supervisor for vintage and yeah, he and I have been together for 30 years. Oh, that, that is just such a beautiful story. That's lovely. I didn't realise so, that where that story was going. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I suspect that's where Stewie wanted it to go. That is but, indeed. Uh, because some, some people, Lou, have told us about mishaps and misadventure and all sorts of you know nefarious activities. But I think your night shift story is quite special. <laughs> yeah, so as we say, so Warren was my boss for the first three months and we knew each other. And after that, the uh, tables turned. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, Louisa, it's been fantastic to get your insights on the innovation and evolution of Barossa. So thank you so much for coming in today. It's my pleasure.